0: Well, are you ready to talk about Christ in the workplace? Oh boy, yeah, yeah. Oh boy. put your seatbelts on. Let's pray. Father, open our hearts. Lord, you have things for us today. Lord, we know that authority is, a, is something that many people don't understand. You call all people to give an account to you. All authorities, whether they are believers in you or not, someday they will appear before you. But Lord, how we as your followers understand authority is going to make a difference in how effective we are at sharing our faith. So help us today to understand, to press into your truths. And Lord, I pray that you would equip us and that you would also impart things that will help us to live the way that you want us to live. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is part 17 of the Authority series that will never end. It just keeps going, but that's okay. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. I love the New Living Translation. It's pretty accurate as a modern translation, and I usually compare. But I like it because it reads so clean in just modern language. It says, Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that the master you are serving is Christ. That means whatever you do, whether you sell widgets, whether you sell insurance, whether you are in medicine, whether you are in research, whether you drive for Lyft or Uber, it doesn't matter what you do, if you do it unto the Lord, He is the one that's going to reward you. He is your master. And God wants us to understand this principle. And we're going to talk about five principles today about how God wants to transform the way we look at the workplace. So some of the things we want to look at today, how can a follower of Jesus Christ work out his or her faith in the workplace? Some of you are thinking, but what what I do, how, how is my faith going to make a difference? What does the Bible say about how we work? How we honor authority. How do we honor authority in the workplace? How do we deal with conflict? Anybody here ever have conflict in the workplace? No. I'm going to share some things out of the Pastor Joe file that go way back today. Is that okay if I tell you some stories today? It's interesting. I've been thinking about um, my dad. You know, he's at that place in life where I'm revisiting a lot of things from the past. And uh, there are things the Lord has brought up, things he's reminded me of. And I'm going to share a couple of those today. How can you bring the influence of Christ without looking, looking like a religious fool? Because there are some people that try to bring a witness to the marketplace and they just tick people off because they're religious. Like trying to get people that aren't believers to pray with them at lunchtime. And things like that. Bow your head, you're going to pray for lunch too. That's a great way to witness. Not really. How do we deal with hostility to our faith? Anybody experiencing hostility to your faith in the, in the marketplace, in the workplace? And how do we allow God's supernatural power and creativity to work in and through us? I want us to look at the, um, this is uh, the story of Daniel, but I want to do a little bit of background, okay, and um, let's take a look at this. It says during the 3rd year of king Jehoiakim's reign in Judah king Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it and the Lord gave him victory over king Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God so Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his god then the king ordered Ashpenaz his chief of staff to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's Royal family and the other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong and healthy and good looking young men, he said, and make sure they're well versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and the literature of Babylon. The king then assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and they would enter the royal service. And by the way, anything that came through the king's kitchen had been dedicated to their god, Bel, had been dedicated to false gods. So uh, these were things that had been offered to idols, which created a problem for Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay. In verse 6, this is Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen from all the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now, God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. Let's stop there a moment. Why do you think he had respect and affection for Daniel? I think Daniel had already established a little bit about who he was and had some spiritual and emotional capital to spend. We don't know exactly what happened, but somehow he had the respect of this man, of this official. In verse 10, it says, but he responded, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other use your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. Nice boss. (laughs) Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. And at the end of 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. And the attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of food, and wine provided for the others. So I've heard some people say this is proof that God wants people to be vegetarians. It is not a proper application of the text. They're just avoiding food that had been sacrificed to idols, okay? In verse 17, it says God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom, and God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meaning of visions and dreams. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar, and the king talked to them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter uh, requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the other magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. And Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. So here's Daniel's dilemma. Let's just take a look at what's happening here. And I know our situations may be somewhat different than Daniel, but I think there are cultural, transcultural, and transtemporal principles that we can pick up from this story and understand. Daniel, along with his friends, are prisoners of war. They don't want to be there. Obviously, they've been taken captive, and because they were royal uh, members of the family, they were nobility, they are recruited by Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Nebuchadnezzar had a plan, and we know this from history. What he would do is he would move all these populations around. So he would take all these people out of Judea, and he would move them to Babylon, and he would take people that lived up in north of Syria and move them into Judea. And he would keep people off balance by moving population groups all around his empire. But he always took the best and brightest talent from every people group and brought them to his capital so that he could leverage their abilities and leverage their intelligence. He was a pretty smart guy, but also a very insidious guy. He was a very uh, cruel ruler, Uh, but he definitely had a plan. So you could say these guys had a bit of a hostile work environment. From the very beginning, uh, they, they were given a choice. And if you think about it, they were given a choice to live. They could have died. They could have been killed in the war like many other people. But these guys were given a choice to live. But now they had to make a decision. Were they going to compromise their faith? Were gonna, they going to be true to God? Uh, they have to go through a period of training and orientation to their new culture. What did this involve? It involved learning the language of Babylon It it involved learning the literature of Babylon. It involved uh, learning to worship their gods. That was implicit in this whole thing. Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to bow down, and we'll see that as you go into the book of Daniel and later chapters, it comes up again and again, where they are required to bow the knee uh, to false gods, including the best one. Nebuchadnezzar puts up a statue of himself and commands everybody to worship him. Now, that's a narcissistic boss. Has anybody here ever had a boss that built a statue to themselves and had you try to worship that? That's good. I'm glad nobody raised their hands. Almost, yeah, close, close, not quite. So ideally, uh, they were to eat the best from the king's table, to enter their new culture, to become at home there. And in, in a very real way, they were expected to forget their gods. They were expected to forget their past. And they were expected to let go of their former convictions and adopt what Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to do. So these guys make a decision. We get the impression that there were other people that had come from Judea and other people from other lands that just went along with a program. But Daniel and his three friends decide we're not going to do this. We're not going to just go along with a program. You understand how serious this was. The official that's taking care of these young men says, if we don't do this right, I could lose my head. So the stakes are pretty high here. If Nebuchadnezzar gets ticked off, he's going to kill these guys. And that comes up later in the book too. Nebuchadnezzar has a way of threatening people with death over and over again. So how do they object without offending their overseer? Daniel has favor with him, but how do they get him to see their way? How can they be true to Yahweh, the God of Israel? and not serve the king of Babylon, and serve the king of Babylon at the same time. So maybe your work situation is not as dramatic as this, but I want to ask you a question. How many of you have been in a place in your workplace where you've had to make the decision whether you are going to stay true to your Christian convictions, or whether you are going to give in and just go along with the program? How many? Honestly. Can you relate to what's happening with Daniel and with these guys here? There's something that we can, there are a lot of things that we can learn for some reason, as a young Christian, Daniel was one of the first books that really resonated with me, and I would read it again and again. I just love the book, and I, there was something about that and the Gospel of John were the first two books that I loved as a new believer. Let me give you uh, one more piece of background, and then we're going to look real quickly at these five principles. Jeremiah, who's a prophet at the same time as Daniel, He's a little bit older than Daniel, and Daniel reads Jeremiah's prophecies. He's very much aware and even responds later in the book of Daniel about Jeremiah. But Jeremiah writes a letter to all the exiles that are being taken captive. And he says, this is what the Lord wants you to know. Listen to this. This is Jeremiah 29. It says, Jeremiah wrote a letter from Jerusalem to the elders, to the priests and prophets, and all the people who had been exiled to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. This is what the Lord, go down to verse 4, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. There were prophets that were saying, in one year God is going to deliver you out of Babylon and bring you back to Israel. And Jeremiah says those prophets are lying to you. God has ordained that you go and you're going to stay there in Babylon 70 years. And he prophesies that. Later, Daniel references that. And here Jeremiah says, this is what the Lord wants you to do. In the place of your captivity, he wants you to build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens, eat the food they produce, marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. What? What is he saying there? God is saying Nebuchadnezzar thinks he's in charge, but God has a plan. If you know the real heart of this story, you know that Israel for 490 years had not obeyed God, had been up and down and in and out of obeying the Lord. They had not been faithful in representing the God who created all things to the nations. Guess what? God has a plan to use a couple key people especially these four guys, a woman named Esther, an uncle named Mordecai, a guy named Ezra, Nehemiah. These four guys get the news out about the living God in a greater way than the entire nation of Israel did for hundreds of years. Think about that. But it all requires one thing, that they discern with obedience what God wants them to do And they are faithful not to compromise the ways of the Lord. But here, Jeremiah is telling them, seek the prosperity of the city that you're in. For a lot of people, they were thinking, I'm going to go in and be subversive. I'm not going to seek the prosperity of this city. And I'm going to try to get back to my own place. Verse 10, Jeremiah goes on. He says, this is what the Lord says. You'll be in Babylon for 70 years. And then I will come for you for all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and hope. In those days when you pray, and I will listen, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me, and I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes, and I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you, and will bring you home again to your land. It's funny, we quote that verse there. Uh, We often quote that about, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Did you realize that was in the middle of the Lord saying, oh, by the way, you're going to be in a really hostile place for 70 years and I want you to find a way to be prosperous there and to bless those people and grow and become who I want you to be even in the midst of adversity. A little bit different than taking it out of context, isn't it? So here are the principles. Principles. That we can learn from Daniel's life and situation. The first one is seek the prosperity of the city you were in. How many of you have been in a situation where you feel you cannot work and make a difference because it's such a place of brokenness and corruption? And you know what the Lord says? I want you to hear this. Sometimes he puts us in places that are dysfunctional and broken because he wants us to be the light of Christ. And we keep saying, God, get us out of here. And the words of Jeremiah resonate, saying, you need to seek the prosperity of the city you're in and make a difference and don't try to get away from the brokenness. What if we all moved out to a place? We could all go out to uh, wherever, find a desert island, and we could all, well, you know, not a desert island. We want a, a prosperous island. And we could all move there as Christians and forget the rest of the world and be our own Christian subculture. God would probably send a tornado and scatter us all over the world. (laughs) Because he said, I told you to go to every nation, not to go out and hide from every nation. Now certainly I want to tell you, if you're in a bad work situation and you can find a better situation and you're in a place where you're being oppressed and they're asking you to compromise and do illegal things, get out of there. That doesn't apply, what I'm saying here. But sometimes God puts us in difficult situations, whether it's a family, whether it's a community, whether it's a place where we're working and we can't change the things around us immediately, but God through us can change everything around us if we will let him do what he wants to do. And some of us become part of the problem because we complain that we're there in that situation instead of allowing God to work in us and make us agents of change. Often it's the Lord who puts us right in the middle of darkness so we can be the light of Christ. Even if the people you work with are evil and corrupt, God can use you. Again, don't let them force you or make you do things that are corrupt and evil and dishonest. But Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do more to bring the light to the Gentile nations than the whole nation of Israel did in the previous 500 years because they are willing to be lights in the midst of a really hostile situation. What looked impossible and, and like a devastating situation becomes an amazing divine appointment from God. Was it easy? No. There were days when Daniel and his friends were on their knees praying that God would give them a solution so they didn't die. And like I said, if you, that doesn't mean that if you're in a bad work situation, you shouldn't try to get somewhere else. So don't, please don't hear me say that. The second thing that the Lord wants us to know is we need to honor authority despite whether we agree with it or not. And you're saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean I have to honor Nebuchadnezzar? There are times when we honor the authority even though we don't agree with who they are. Let's take a look at the situation we're in right now. There are a lot of people that won't honor President Trump because they don't think he's a legitimate president. There are a lot of people in the eight years of President Obama that called him Obama, that refused to call him President Obama. And some of you remember me talking about that. I don't care whether the guy is corrupt or this or that, and I'm not talking about either president here. I'm just talking in general. We need to learn to honor the office and honor people. There is a dishonor in our culture right now that is so severe and there are people that are calling themselves Christians that are totally off the hook. And they are doing dishonorable things. And they are justifying it. And we can't do that. Now, Daniel's boss, his immediate boss, was the guy that took care of the people. He made sure that they were taken care of. He was the one. And he goes to Daniel. I th- he really likes Daniel. But he says, listen, I've got a problem here. He said, if you guys aren't looking good, and you start looking weak and pale and whatever. So if you think about it, here was a guy who really had, in his own thinking, Daniel's best interest at heart, didn't he? God gave Daniel wisdom to find a win-win for the guy and take the pressure off of him. Okay? Maybe some of you read that business literature, that book years ago, The Win-Win. Okay? What does he do? He says, I'll tell you what. Let us try this for 10 days. And let our God come through for us and let's see what really happens here. And what happens? God does come through for Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We often choose who will honor and this is not what God says here. Both employers and employees will have to answer to God someday. Now this is what I have to say. If you're in a work situation that's so bad that you've got a boss that's asking you to do things that are illegal, you need to get out. OK, I'm not telling you you need to stay there, but there there's never going to be a perfect employer. There's never going to be a perfect boss anywhere. Is that true? And sometimes we are become, become part of the problem rather than becoming part of the solution. We need to learn to appeal to authority when we disagree. Daniel and his friends appealed to authority by taking the risk on themselves and taking the risk off this guy. They say, test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. At the end of 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men. And by the way, I think their success was not necessarily a vegetarian diet, although the meat may have been bad. Yeah, they could have actually lost weight. I think God blessed them because of their decision. That's what I think is going on here. They didn't confront but they also didn't compromise, did they? They offered a solution rather than complaining about a problem. Okay, let me, ask, let me stop here for a second before I tell you a story. How many of you that are employers would love to have people, when there was something wrong in your company, come to you and say, hey, I've got a solution? Rather than saying, we've got a problem here, Houston, right? Because there are always going to be problems. Notice what Daniel does. Daniel comes up with a solution that allows allows everybody to win. At the end of the day, what happens with Nebuchadnezzar is he realizes even though Daniel won't worship his gods, Daniel has wisdom from a higher God, and Daniel's really out to help him and not hurt him. When Daniel says to him, hey, you know, this guy Jeremiah said, said when we came here that you were appointed by God to conquer all these nations, Nebuchadnezzar's going, there's a God that talked about me? Think about that. God's in control. It could be an amazing thing. Many years ago, let me tell you a story from the Joe Files. I came to Christ as a uh, freshman at uh, Kent State University. And I had been raised in a church, but for five years I rebelled against God. And I was really good at rebelling. Uh, I I really knew how to do that. I remember as a 13-year-old buying a little bag of marijuana and saying, I'm tired of being a Christian. I'm going to get high. And I went out at age 13, sat in my garage and smoked this big stogie. I didn't get high because I got ripped off. It wasn't marijuana. I think it was oregano. (laughs) Never never would know what it is. When you make your first purchase, you never know what it's going to be. And by the way, my point is there is I never really, I never made a good sinner either. I just want you to know that. I'm a failure as a sinner. And I can only be a saint by God's grace, so that's my only choice. But I, I, but I eventually did connect with the right people, and I, for five years I rebelled against uh, God. I was my youth pastor's nightmare, and uh, sorry, Pastor Jeff. I I remember I used to sit in the back of the youth group with a knife and threaten the kids. If you don't let Larry talk, I'm going to kill you in the parking lot after church. I carried a big switchblade. It was like a six inch long switchblade thing. He came up to me one day. Larry says, I just want you to know, I don't know how you're getting the kids to be quiet. It's probably an unethical thing. He said, but I'm praying for you because God has his hand on your life. And the fact that you're still here. And I said, listen. I said, Pastor, listen, I want you to know I'm here because my mom and dad told me I had to go to church or I couldn't live in their house. He said, okay, that's all right, fair enough. He said, but I want you to know I love you. When I came to Christ at Kent State, he was one of the first guys I called. And I took him out for a steak dinner because I had made his life so miserable. (laughs) Let me just close with these last two The fourth is our work integrity comes from our identity in Christ Jesus. Everything we do in life should flow out of our identity in Christ and our service to Christ. That's why Colossians 3 says, Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than people. Who's your employer? It's the Lord Jesus. At the end of the day, you're going to answer to him. You work with excellence not because you like your boss that day or you like your word. You work because you love the Lord, and it's your identity in Christ to be excellent in Him and do everything as unto the Lord. Where is your reward going to come from? If you're a Christian, you've got a benefit plan in your work situation you didn't know about. The Lord says, if you work as unto me with a sense of excellence, I will reward you. At the end of the day, it's the Lord is going to reward us. And by the way, he will call every employer, every employee, every person, no matter what your situation in life is, to account before him to answer. The fifth thing is God's supernatural revelation can work through you in the workplace. God wants to bring the supernatural. To some of you here, you may not know what your boss is up against. Maybe you're the one that can offer him or her a solution and help them to break out of where they are. Because a lot of times you don't know, and sometimes you need the wisdom of God. And by the way, it was shortly after that my dad came to Christ. I believe that was a major thing. He was on a business trip. He was away. He had lost. He had a macular degeneration in one eye. He had lost sight in his one eye. And my mom's prayer group and my prayer group were praying for him, and God healed him. When I talked to his ophthalmologist, the guy said, who are you guys? He said, I'm Catholic. He says, I believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I pray all the time. He said, your father had a brand new connection like a baby. It was a perfect macula. It was a perfect, he said, it, 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 there's, only God can do that. He said, how does that happen? So my dad went from being a God-fearing guy that would go to church like this So he started telling everybody what happened to him. Often we don't think about giving God a chance to invade our space. When you're in an impossible situation in the work situation you're in, you need to invite God into that moment because I believe God specializes in showing up and doing things that we can't even imagine. I've seen him do it in a lot of other work situations, too, where the Lord gave wisdom, where the Lord showed up, where the Lord moved people's hearts. It's just amazing. Daniel, Esther, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Nehemiah, all these people gave God a chance to do a miracle. They put their lives on the line, and they prayed. Years ago, we had a lady named Joyce in one of our um, home groups, and uh, she came to the home group, and she was broken, totally devastated because at work, the guys, it was an impressive work environment. They were playing the worst music, and guys had pornography up in their lockers and in some of their workspaces. And she said, I just don't want to go to work anymore. And our group gathered around and prayed for her. And I'm I'm telling you, we shouted out to the Lord. We said, Lord, you've got to do something for Joyce. And there was a word of knowledge for Joyce that night. You need to go in, and you need to be honest with your boss, and you need to appeal to him and say, I don't know if you're aware this is happening and I need to tell you, I'm, I've been a faithful employee. Well, she went into work the next day and did exactly what the word of knowledge told her. She went in to talk to her boss and her boss said, this is terrible, I had no idea this was happening. I'm appointing you from now on. You are the one that puts the radio stations on and no one else is allowed to touch the dial. He said, and then also I want to talk to all the ladies that have experienced sexual harassment and we're going to deal with that. And by the end of the day, I don't want any pornography. I don't want anything in the workspace that would compromise anybody. In a matter of a moment, God shifted the whole thing and she was put in charge. Sounds kind of like Daniel. Now, it doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes we have a bit of a battle. Sometimes it comes all the way down to the police showing up at the door saying, Daniel, it's time. All the magi are going to be killed because nobody could translate uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And Daniel says, can you give me a couple more hours? I think my God can do it. Those are scary moments when you're out on the line there. So understand this. God sometimes purposely puts you there. And what we do is we go around saying, oh, me, God has forgotten about me. And the Lord is saying, I finally have them in the place where I can do something so amazing. I'm sensing some of you are in that place right now. And he wants to do something (laughs) supernatural. The final thing I want to say is this, and that is beware of misplaced expectations. And I hear this all the time from Christians. I hear Christians that work for a Christian boss, and they say, I'm so glad I have a Christian boss and they have the expectation that they don't have to work as hard for them. When we lived in the Bible Belt in Springfield, Missouri, every contractor that came to our house just about told me how much of a Christian they were. It got to the point where I said, at the end of the job, I'll tell you if you're a Christian. <laughs> and then people would say things, well, we're Christians. We don't need a contract. And <laughs> eh, Sorry. There are expectations sometimes that we put on people just because they're Christian. Contracts help us to understand so there aren't misunderstandings. Even if it's a Christian, it's a good thing to write it down and have a written agreement so there's not a misunderstanding. If you are a believer, you should work with even more zeal for your boss because you're working as unto the Lord. If you're an employer or you're in management and you have people under your that are reporting to you, you need to be thinking about them not just as cogs in the machine, but you need to be saying, you know what? These are people that God has put under my care. I need to pray for them. I need to, I need to uh, be there for them. I, there's probably a higher reason for me to be there. That same year that I was working for my dad, when the dishwasher Johnny came in and was sick and said, I can't work the shift. And I said, can you pray for you? And he, can I pray for you? And he said, sure. And I prayed for him. He says, what was that? So what's the matter? So it was like electricity went through me. I said, "You feel better?" And he said, "Yeah." Said, Can you work? Yeah. And when you're a manager, it works really well. I didn't want to wash dishes that night. <laughs> you say there's no biblical precedent for that. They went over to Peter's mother-in-law's house, and Peter's mother-in-law was sick. Jesus healed her, and she got up and made a meal. Now I'm suspicious. <laughs> think about that, okay? <laughs> That's right, we're hungry here. (laughs) When you walk with the disciples, you never know what's going to happen. Do you hear what the Lord is saying to you? Can we just stand together? We're going to close. I want to ask a question. How many of you are in a work situation and you need God to come through for you right now? Can you just come on up real quick? We're not going to have a long altar call. I just felt like there needed to be an impartation and a consecration moment. Just come. If you need a breakthrough right now, if you're in a work situation, whether you're in management, whether you're driving Uber, whether you're whatever you're doing, it doesn't matter where you are, you need a breakthrough. Maybe it's wisdom from God. Maybe it's wisdom on how to deal with hostile situation. Can we just all extend a hand of blessing to these people? Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for these people. And you gave me this picture today of everybody that needed prayer to come up. Father, we just want to agree in prayer right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray for breakthrough, Father. I pray for wisdom. I pray, Lord, that you would give supernatural wisdom on healing processes, broken relationships, uh, broken communications, Lord, things that are going wrong, uh, hostile work situations, misunderstandings. Father, we just pray that you would give wisdom and that you would impart wisdom. And for each one of these that has come up here today, Lord, that as they consecrate their hearts to you, Lord, that you would just impart to them the wisdom of Daniel. You've put us in places, God, to make a difference. You've put us in places to be a witness for you. You've put us sometimes in impossible places because you have a God-sized answer that only you can give. And I pray, Father, that your supernatural power would be released in each one of these men and women right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, I believe you want us to be successful, but success is often bigger than what we think. It's not just about the money. It's about your plan. It's about your purpose. It's about you revealing yourself in the midst of situations, God. And I just pray for these that have come that you would just open up a whole new vista, an ability for them to see what you want them to see, God, in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Can we just lift our voices and praise God together? We worship you, God. Hallelujah. Bless you, Lord. We put our trust in you, oh God. We believe in you, God. I just pray that you would impart faith. I pray that you'd give supernatural wisdom. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Supernatural wisdom, Lord. I pray for favor for these as well, Lord, and the people they work with that you would give them supernatural favor, Lord, in every way, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, for putting us in places where we can be salt and light. We just give you praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. God is good, isn't he? I want to hear some good stories, okay? So let's press into those things. Hallelujah.